The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the host and their guests, and not those of W4CS Radio, its employees, or affiliates. W4CS makes no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Support Network on W4CS.com. Any health-related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. And welcome to Five to Thrive Live. I am Carolyn Gazella, and my co-host, Dr. Lise Allschuler, has the night off. Before we dive into tonight's show, which is an exciting show, I have a few reminders for you. Now, last week, I had a very interesting show about nurturing relationships during times of crisis. My guests were uh, Tamara Green and David Dashinger. They are the authors of the new book, Live Calm with Cancer. Now, if you missed that show or any of our past shows, not to worry because you can go to iHeartRadio, type in 5 to Thrive Live, and you'll find that show as well as all of our past shows. In addition to iHeartRadio, you can also find our past shows on our website at iThrivePlan.com. We also want to thank the sponsors of our show who are Cetria Glutathione, Cognizant Cytocholine, and of course, the iThrive Plan. We appreciate our sponsors very much. Now, tonight, we have another important topic. We're going to be discussing how we can turn unhealthy behaviors into healthy habits. Now, this is perfect timing uh, for those of you who've had a New Year's resolution and are having a little bit of difficulty sticking with that resolution. Um, You know, it's not always easy to change behaviors, but I have the absolute perfect guest joining me tonight to discuss this important topic. My guest is Dr. Mark Aloya, who is the Vice President and Global Lead for Health Behavior Change with Philips Health Tech and an Associate Professor of Medicine at National Jewish Health in Denver, Colorado. He is a regular blogger for the Huffington Post, and he has published over 50 scientific papers in high-quality journals and has also served on the editorial boards of the journals Sleep, health psychology, and behavioral sleep medicine. He's a graduate of Brown University, and he received his Ph.D. doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Mississippi. Dr. Aloya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Carolyn. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, we always like to get to know our guests kind of beyond the topic. So before we dig in, I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about your journey, your professional background, and why you wanted to study behavioral modification. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, um, so, you know, this is a journey that's still ongoing. So I'll give you a little bit of the history. Um, You know, I grew up with a very close Italian family who struggled with a lot of health problems. And um, I lost my mom to cancer very early. Uh, I had just turned 12. Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuck with me 
for quite a while. Um, and so health became very important to me, but not in an easy way. It didn't come easily to me. I was an obese kid. Um, I struggled with my weight for a long time, and it was just something that became very personal. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a psychologist, probably because of the situation that happened in my family early. Um, and I pursued that. And as I pursued that, I fell in love with the I guess the ability to dialogue with people and listen carefully and help them through their difficult times. And that sort of transitioned um, into health psychology with, I think, that early childhood experience. Yeah. And, you know, that's amazing because obviously I know you and we've had coffee together and we've talked about issues like this. And it's hard for me to believe that you were an obese kid because you're, you're extremely fit. So <laughs> whatever you did, whatever you did to change your behaviors um, obviously worked for you. Yeah, well, it's a struggle I continue to have. Um, I, you know, I don't see behavior change as having really a beginning or an end. Mm. I guess you could say it has a pretty strong beginning for some. But for me, it just doesn't have an end. Mm. That's an interesting perspective, and I'm hoping that we can kind of circle back with that one because that's that's uh, it, it. Kind of goes to your your point that this is a journey that we're all on, and sometimes there's going to be bumps, and sometimes it's going to be smooth, and there's going to be success. But it, there's there's really no ending in it. That's right. Awesome. So now, if we want to change our behaviors, what are we up against in general? How difficult can that be? I mean, Carolyn, it's difficult in the best of situations, but it's even more difficult today. I think, you know, we're in a situation where we have everything available to us. We have a lot available to us. Uh, a lot of um, things can, we can get things very easily. Uh, fast food is all over the place. Um, we have really amazing advertising. I mean, I watch my son watch uh, television occasionally, and, and he spend, spends more time on the commercials than he does on the shows. Um, <laughs> and can tell me all of, you know, he can tell me the jingles, like w what uh, what they're trying to sell me. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's a tough situation in which to really stick with a health plan. Um, so we're up against a lot, but you know, the good news is we can all do this. Um, and we all do this at different times in our lives. It's, it's just when we hit that struggle that we sometimes sort of get down on ourselves and fall into bad behaviors. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Now, what typically leads to failure? You know, why can't some people successfully change their behavior? I mean, I think a lot of it is just a lack of confidence. I think that our confidence gets shaken in times of ambivalence. You know, when when we, um, in clinical psychology, there's this intervention called motivational interviewing, and I rely on it a lot in what I do in my research and some of the clinical work. And one of the aspects about motivational interviewing is embracing ambivalence as normal. And I think that's a really key factor because we all feel ambivalent in our change at some point in time. And if we let that ambivalence if we sort of interpret that as a negative sign, as a sign of failure, we can often give up in a very sort of uh, sad situation. When I try to tell my patients that that ambivalence is a sign of progress. I mean, if you were comfortable, you wouldn't be changing, right? 
Yeah, it's so true. Even the way I asked that question uh, was really focused on a very black and white uh, concept, the concept of success and failure. Um, so I, I think what you're saying is when we look at things through that lens, uh, we're, we're really not doing ourselves any favors. Right, because if you, you know, if you don't have a clear success, then, you know, by default, you must be a failure. And that's not a good way to uh, perceive it. And that really sort of you know, uh, disables us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, you know, I want to um, really dig into, you have some great practical concepts that you're going to share with us tonight. But first, I'm going to take our mm-hmm. first break. And when we come back, we're going to continue with this important conversation with researcher and behavioral health expert, Dr. Mark Aloya. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Attention all cancer survivors, are you ready to thrive? Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Schuler, And I'm Carolyn Gazella, and we are the creators of the new iThrive Cancer Survivor Online Wellness Plan. iThrive creates an individualized wellness plan specifically based on your health needs. We focus on five key areas to improve your health. Diet, movement, environment, rejuvenation, and spirit. After completing a short survey, an individualized iThrive plan will be created just for you. Your plan will contain recommended, interactive, interesting, and innovative action steps in these five key areas of lifestyle. The iThrive plan will help you to recover from cancer treatment, reduce your risk of recurrence, and to achieve optimal wellness. In other words, it will help you thrive. For more information about the iThrive plan, visit www.ithriveplan.com. That's ithriveplan.com. Check it out today and receive a special time-limited offer. Visit www.ithriveplan.com today. It's time to thrive, everyone. We are constantly being bombarded by toxins in the air we breathe, water we drink, and even the foods we eat. So what's the answer? Glutathione. It's inside every cell in your body and protects you from the damage of oxidative stress and toxins. There's a special patented form of glutathione that is superior called Cetria. Cetria is pure, vegetarian, and allergen-free. Help replenish your body's reserves of this very important nutrient, detoxify the natural way. Visit cetriaglutathione.com. That's cetriaglutathione.com. Five to Thrive Live, everyone. Have you ever tried to change your behavior but have had difficulty doing that? Well, I am Carolyn Gazella, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Galoya, who is a behavioral change expert. This is an important topic that we're talking to talking about. Now, um, before the break, uh, we recognized that it's hard. It's hard to change behavior um, and that we shouldn't really interpret that as success or failure. It's an ongoing um, journey that we're on with behavior change. But there's something about 
stickiness that can that can really cause people trouble. I know for myself, you know, I'll start a new fitness routine and all of a sudden three months later, you know, I'm not going to the gym. You know, it just it just doesn't stick. So just in general, I know that we're going to provide practical tips on how to make it sticky, but in general, what's your philosophy about the stickiness and why why it's hard to create um, behavior change that's sustainable? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Carolyn. And I, and I think, you know, I think about it a little differently if I'm going to overgeneralize. So I don't really think about sticking with a particular behavior. I think about making a commitment to my health. And that could change. That may mean that allows me to, you know, consider cross-country skiing as as my exercise today or even sometimes you know snowboarding as my exercise today um, or walking with my dog or going for a run or going to the gym and so now I have a whole array of behaviors um, and each of those is a commitment to my health or taking the stairs or eating more vegetables right so all of that is a commitment to my health and allows me to feel more successful and then I can look back in retrospect and say I've led a pretty healthy life over the last month, and it may mean that I only ran five times, but I did several other. I made several other choices. Right, that's such a good point because you really are kind of broadening your opportunities for success. Um, and yeah, that, that I love that. I love that lens in which you're looking at that. Now, sometimes in the world of cancer. You know, we want to change our behavior out of fear because we don't want to get cancer again. We have this fear of recurrence. And I know I have been there, done that, and uh, can can relate to this fear uh, a lot. Is fear an effective motivator? And if it is, why? And if it isn't, why? So fear is an effective motivator for some. You know, but it's not the motivator that I would use with patients. It's not the motivator I use with myself. And and when I'm being a good father, it's not the motivator I use with my <laughs> children. Um, because fear is a little tenuous. I mean, instilling fear in someone often uh, in a group of people can often divide them. You know, half of the people will come your way and say, well, I better behave in this way so that this doesn't happen. And the other half will say, well, you know, that doesn't really apply to me. And sometimes the people who are motivated out of fear over a period of time, that fear wanes, right? Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that, you know, I've, I've made it this far. So maybe maybe that fear wasn't um, accurate. Besides, I don't think really, I mean, I feel like it's not a great idea to make a decision solely out of fear. Fear can be a factor, and it certainly is for me that motivates me. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of... Uh, of becoming overweight again or of being unhealthy or of, uh, you know, developing cancer like my mom had or, you know, diabetes like my dad had. Um, but that alone is, is not what will keep me living healthy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. By the way, what type of cancer did your mom have? She had uh, pancreatic and stomach cancer. Mm. And it, this was back in the 70s. So, you know, and I was a kid, so I don't really know much of the details. Um, mm-hmm. And I've yeah. never really found that out. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a difficult one, even even today. So, yeah. so in addition to fear, what else can we use to motivate uh, lasting behavior change? I mean, there there are many things. You know, um, I I really talk about five pillars of change, and I'm happy to walk you through those if that's something you'd like to hear about. 
Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the way I think of change is I, I think we can focus on five things and make pretty good progress. One is it has to be personal. So, you know, you can't just hear someone else's story and think that's the reason that I should change. It really has to be about you. And so, for example, for me, you know, I think of sustaining the changes that I've made because I want to be a good role model to my kids. You know, so for me, that's very personal. Um, And I think when we start to engage people around the dialogue of change, we need to listen. We need to hear their value system. We need to put it in the context of their value system. And so, you know, I don't ever make a judgment about someone's values, but I'm really interested in them because that's going to help them uh, tie the change to their value system. So personalization is one of the key factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to have you go through each of these, and then I'd like to circle back on some, if that's okay with you. Yeah, and then the second that I think about is creating a sense of urgency, and this is to some degree where fear comes in. Right. If we have, you know, we always we we've all heard the story of the person who had a quadruple bypass and then stopped smoking, you know, such a difficult behavior to change. And in the right sort of fear driven urgency circumstance in that context, they can create that change. Well, creating a sense of urgency is very important. Um, Certainly, you know, when we think about creating change, I can oversimplify to two things, importance and confidence. And urgency is that importance factor. If you don't feel like it's important, you're probably not going to create that change for yourself and you're probably not going to persist. So creating a sense of urgency is important, but it should never come without the third pillar, which is building confidence. And in the literature, we we refer to this as self-efficacy. That's one's belief that they can persist in the face of difficulties, right? So it's not, can I stop smoking? It's, can I keep from smoking when I'm out having a drink with my friends? In a situation that's highly primed for bad behavior, um, can I exercise better behavior? And so that confidence is probably the single greatest predictor of success with change across Mm. all behaviors. And so we really want to set ourselves up for confidence, for success. So, for, for example, Carolyn, we don't have, you know, 10,000 steps is everyone's goal, right? Um, you have your own personal goal. You have a goal that you know you can meet that may be 10, 12, 15% higher than what you're doing now. And God knows we can measure almost anything these days. Right. So, you know, you set that reachable goal. That's really, I refer to it as a target. You hit that target and you celebrate that success. You don't celebrate it with a cheeseburger, Right. Right. (laughs) You celebrate it with a massage. Right. Or something like that. So, you know, you celebrate that success. You pat yourself on the back and you set the next target and and making sure. And and this goes back to what we talked about, about letting ourselves off the hook when we're not doing uh, today, when we didn't do what we felt we should have done. Um, If you don't beat yourself up, you give yourself more chance for confidence. So that's really that third pillar. And we can talk more about that in a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, The fourth is social support. And this is something that the cancer community has done. I think we lost him. Let's uh, go ahead and take our final break. And then uh, when we come back, we will see if we can't get Dr. Aloya back on. Attention all cancer survivors, are you ready to thrive? 
Hello, I'm Dr. Lee Schuler, And I'm Carolyn Gazella, and we are the creators of the new iThrive Cancer Survivor Online Wellness Plan. iThrive creates an individualized wellness plan specifically based on your health needs. We focus on five key areas to improve your health. Diet, movement, environment, rejuvenation, and spirit. After completing a short survey, an individualized iThrive plan will be created just for you. Your plan will contain recommended, interactive, interesting, and innovative action steps in these five key areas of lifestyle. The iThrive plan will help you to recover from cancer treatment, reduce your risk of recurrence, and to achieve optimal wellness. In other words, it will help you thrive. For more information about the iThrive plan, visit www.ithriveplan.com. That's ithriveplan.com. Check it out today and receive a special time-limited offer. Visit www.ithriveplan.com today. It's time to thrive, everyone. Are you interested in boosting your brain power? So am I. This is Carolyn Gazella, co-host of 5 to Thrive Live, and I'm here to tell you about a supplement that I take. The human brain needs a lot of nutrition to stay focused throughout the day. Citicoline naturally enhances energy-producing centers within the brain. Cognizant delivers a clinically tested, patented form of citicoline that supplies your brain with the energy it needs to stay sharp. Look for Cognizant on the label, or for more information, visit Cognizant.com. That's Cognizant.com. Live. I am Carolyn Gazella. I'm here with Dr. Mark Aloya. We are talking about behavioral change. Uh, we did have some have some te- technical difficulties, but we're back online. And Dr. Aloya, you were talking about the five pillars, and we got through personalization, urgency, confidence. I'm going to probably revisit uh, one or two of those. And then you were starting to talk about social support when we lost you. So why don't you go ahead and fill us in about social support as it relates to these five uh, pillars of successful behavior change? Great. Well, first of all, it's great to be back. (laughs) I'm sorry (laughs) about that technical difficulty. Um, But what I was talking about was this sort of fourth pillar, and that is social support. And social support is critical in helping people sustain change. And we've all had the experience where we feel our social network bolsters us. Um, Especially, I think, in the cancer community, they've done a great job at this. Um, So I think understanding that, you know, maybe many of your listeners have had that experience, but but do we utilize it to our fullest um, advantage? And that's the real question there. So when we're trying to make small changes, sometimes it's as simple as sharing it with a friend and saying, I might need your help during this, or just even making a verbal commitment out loud, you know, over dinner with a bunch of friends and saying, you know what, I think I'm going to embark on this journey. Um, and by doing that, you kind of pull together this social network that can help get you through it. And frankly, it can help sustain change. I mean, there's, there's an excellent speaker by the name of Nicholas Christakis who's given two TED Talks on behavior as social contagion. And it, it even shows that you, ha- you have to be like four 
people removed from someone with a particular bad behavior to not be affected that, by that behavior. And he speaks mostly about obesity. So, for example, if you're the friend of a friend of a friend of someone who's obese, you're, I think, something like 11 times, 11% more likely to be obese yourself. Wow. So that social network can be powerful. Wow, that is just amazing. I'm going to have to look up that uh, that uh, TED Talk because that's that's really amazing. I, and I want to uh, circle back on that one too with, with social support. Um, so, what's the fifth the fifth pillar? So, the fifth pillar is really designed for people who are trying to help someone else create change, and it is respecting the autonomy of the person. Um, and I think it's you know it's it's often something that people overlook, but I think it's important because we have to understand that, and, and this, re, this relates to how I treat myself as well, right? It's respecting my own autonomy. So I can push myself, but the harder I push sometimes, the more likely I'm to have this emotional struggle. And so sometimes you need to take your foot off the gas. Sometimes you need to, um, when you're trying to help a friend, just say to that friend, you know, it's okay if you make a choice to do things differently. Um, but if you choose to make this change, I'm here to help you. And you can do that with yourself as well, right? You just don't get down on yourself. There's this fine line between enabling and uh, self-compassion. And I think that this fifth pillar of autonomy is trying to sort of say, you can have self-compassion, and you can have compassion for the other person, and you have to respect that change is something we decide on in our own lives. It's not something that should be forced upon us. Mm, that's such a, such a good point. I want to go back to social support because we talk a lot about this in uh, the I Thrive Plan. So basically, you're saying that um, the people we hang out with and the people we interact with have a lot of influence over us. I mean, I I, I mean, is that is that kind of what you're saying yeah. with that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, no big surprise, right? right. <laughs> and the interesting thing about that, really, when you, when you scratch the surface a little bit, you realize it goes back to that value system issue. Because there's a pretty good chance that the people we hang out with share our value system. Mm-hmm. And so when they say something to us, when they encourage us, when they challenge us, when they reflect back our behaviors we can take it in the same context that they're, that they're giving it, right, in that same value system. And so it's easier for friends to support us than for strangers to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not sure that people realize the magnitude of this. I think to some people they're like, oh, yeah, I, I know that my, the people I hang with influence my behavior, but I don't know that they know to the extent because I, I think even in my own life, if I have like a negative Nelly who um, – mm-hmm crops up and and I have I have I, I'm kind of a glass half full my my friends call me Pollyanna you know I'm always like <laughs> I like to be really optimistic and and um if if I'm like hanging with a Debbie Downer I I may be like oh well that's just Debbie that's how she is and I may I may give her some some slack and I may still hang with her and I th- I think um what you're saying is we need to be a little bit more careful Right. I, I, you know, I'm not going to say that you should get rid of Debbie Downer because she may give you perspective, right? But, yeah, um, and maybe it's perspective at times that you need, but you, you can pick and choose when you need to be around certain people. And I think, it's, I think you make a good point, Carolyn, that I often over sort of uh, 
I assume more that we all sort of understand that more than maybe we do, including myself, because, you know, I don't always make the proper choices on who I want to hang out with at any given point in time. But I always have friends that I know will exercise with me. Mm-hmm. And I'll reach out to them. <laughs> and I'll reach out to them when I know I need exercise. And I may not even reach out and say, do you want to go for a run? I may just reach out and say, hey, what are you doing? And I'm pretty sure I'm going to get back. Hey, do you want to go for a run? <laughs> or do you want to go for a hike? And so that puts it in the right context, right? So it's probably reasonable or valuable, I should say, for us to understand how each individual friendship helps helps us or maybe in some cases holds us back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I know even from my case, uh, my social support when it comes to my exercise, for example, is my sister. She did, We don't exercise together, but I will always tell her, hey, this is what I did today. What did you do? And, you know, that seems to um, help us uh, and help right. us stay, stay, on, stay on track. Now, and, and not in a competitive mm-hmm. way necessarily, right? N- no, not at all. I mean, we're kind of like right. our, each other's cheerleaders uh, in, right. in that sense. You know, sense. I, I, wa- I wanted to mention one other thing about social support, which, is, which shouldn't be overlooked. And that is that we can provide social support to others and that helps us sustain our change, mm. right? It, mm-hmm. The power of altruism, the power of helping someone else is, and, and we see this a lot um, in women because they raise children, right? They'll do things for others before they do things for themselves. And in some cases, they'll, we, we can change our own behavior in an effort to help someone else change. And we see this happen a lot. Like, I'll, I'll work out with you. Well, um, you know, at, at, for for me, for example, I'm a health psychologist. I really can't afford to let myself, you know, be terribly unhealthy <laughs> um, because I'm here to help other people. So just by taking on that role, by defining a role for yourself as someone who will help someone else, you can sustain that change. Oh, I, I, I would agree. I think that that's helped me personally because, um, of course, creating the I Thrive plan with Lease and, you know, I definitely... Uh, you know, want to help, and and that in turn helps myself. So I, I would agree that's that's a really an important part. Now I have to say, when you were talking about confidence, you said that this is probably one of the single best predictors, and I got a little nervous when you said that <laughs> because if if my having confidence in my ability to change behavior is a single best predictor, what if I don't have confidence? Yeah, so so let me reframe it, okay? So it's not necessarily your confidence that you can change a behavior, but it's your confidence that you can stick with your goal over the next two weeks, that you can make strong attempts and that you probably can be successful. And that's, that is sometimes daunting for some people because it often feels like we're not successful. Well, it goes back to how we define that success right? So remember that I talked about success as making good decisions. I mean, I think living a healthy lifestyle, and this may sound daunting, is making, sorry, that's my dog, <laughs> is <laughs> making a okay. hundred decisions a day, you know, on, on how I should behave and what I should accomplish and, and whether I, what I should eat or whether I should take the stairs. So, so that allows me to feel more confident by broadening that definition of success. Um, but if you don't feel more confident, then I think you have to ask yourself a couple of questions. One, am I taking on too much? 
Am I asking too much of myself? Two, have I ever been successful in the past? And most of us do have good examples of having been successful at making change. It's just that when we're in the struggle, we forget those examples. Mm-hmm. So remind yourself. So we call that, you know, reverting to past successes, right? Reminding ourselves of the past successes. Um, and that can be very powerful. I mean, I've had patients who were struggling to adhere to a treatment, for, in, in particular for sleep. And, they, and when I'm dialoguing with them, they will come up with things like, well, I had knee surgery several years back, and the recovery was really hard, but I made it through, and I did a really good job. And just reminding themselves of that can give them enough confidence to keep going. So it's not like confidence you have to have to meet your life goal, but it's confidence you have to have to to sort of persist toward the target. Right. It's celebrating those small successes and recognizing those small successes. And I think that you bring up a good point. Am I taking on too much or, or even with the perspective of, you know, oh, good, I did take the stairs. I only took the stairs once today, but that was once better than zero, you know? So kind of celebrating those small, those small steps, I I think is, is really. And, and, And this is not a small, you know, I haven't had cancer. But I can only imagine, and I've worked with people who have, that it can be daunting because you, you feel sometimes like you have to make so many changes. Mm-hmm. And you really have to do everything right. And that is kind of a recipe for disaster um, because none of us can really do everything right. right? So, so figure out what you're most confident in achieving and start there. And that, and having success there will build confidence in other areas. I agree. I think that's such a trap when we start to think, oh my gosh, I just was diagnosed with cancer and I need to change my diet and I need to exercise more and I need to blah, 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 blah. It, that is a trap, uh, folks. So yeah, yeah I, I would definitely agree with that. Now, the very first thing you mentioned was personalization and that relates to values. And you gave such a wonderful example, the fact that you want to model healthy behavior for your kids. I I think that's just really a great example. And um, I'm wondering if you have a few other examples, because it occurred to me that maybe somebody may not be as in touch with their values to identify what's truly important enough to want to change. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I would say, you know, if you, if you haven't given thought to your value system, give it some thought. Do some reading. Do some journaling. You know, think about what it is you value in life. And for me, um, you know, I've always wanted to be a good father. Um, it's the hardest job I have, and I've had many, many jobs. Uh, so, so that is a motivator for me. And I think, Carolyn, there's a trap that we fall into in behavior change. We think that if we just eliminate the barriers to change, we'll change. When in fact, there's evidence that if you eliminate the barriers, you'll just come up with more barriers. <laughs> so spend more time on the facilitators. Spend more time on the things that motivate you. And ask yourself, you know, some of the questions I ask myself, who are you doing this for? Right? Sometimes it's not just us. Sometimes it's the people that are around us. And that's totally fine. But identify that. Um, you know, another question is, you know, 
what, why are you doing this? Like, why persist? What is the value that it brings? Um, and so I think that, you know, this is, this is not just something I teach and talk about. This is something I live every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, an urge, it's a sense of urgency for me. I want my kid, they don't always appreciate it, you know, but I want them to see that exercise is a part of life. Um, it's a part of living healthy. And, and there are oodles of examples, but I would say if you, if you don't understand those facilitators, I'll give you a little trick. Ask yourself, on a scale of 1 to 10, how motivated you are to accomplish this change. And it probably can't be a 10 or you, do, you, you would have done it, and it can't be a 1 or you wouldn't be asking yourself, right? So it's got to be somewhere in between. And so let's say you come up with a 6 or let's say a 7. So then ask yourself, why isn't it a 9? And that will elicit all the barriers that you are worried about, the things that you can still sort of get out of your way. But, you know, you write them down. Here are the things I'm worried about. And then ask yourself the critical question. Why am I not a five? And that's where you elicit your critical values around this change. Mm -hmm. That's where you elicit your motivators, right? The (laughs) things that will keep you going. And then when you struggle, remind yourself of those motivators. Yeah, it's it's such a good point. I have to say, um, several years ago, I was talking to a gentleman um, who uh, happened to uh, have a drinking problem, and then he developed pancreatitis, and he was telling me uh, the pain was so extreme, and he went on to say that um, it wasn't the pain that caused him to stop drinking, and I was I was so uh, uh, perplexed by that, and I said, well, in the end, why... Why did? Because you know he was successful. He stopped drinking and and uh, uh, was living his life. I, I said, what what caused you then to stop drinking and and how come you're so successful? And he said, and he almost had tears in his eyes, and he said, because I had new little grandchildren, and right. and I knew that you know if if I would keep drinking, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be able to enjoy my grandchildren. So it was something that, it wasn't his pain, it wasn't him, it was about his grandkids. And it was, everything right. revolved around those grandkids. And that was his motivator. And that became a key value for him. And that's what um, led to his success. So um, I think these these questions that you're asking are really great. Now, you have gone through five pillars. I want to just re- review them. There's personalization, urgency, confidence, social support, and autonomy. Now, you mentioned that the confidence is a, is a, pretty, is a pretty big one, but are all five required um, in order to be successful, or are they required at different you know, degrees? Um, what's right. the secret sauce there? Yeah, so it's really not a recipe, um, and... and um, Oh, gosh, I would hate for people to think of it as one because I just <laughs> came up with those, you know. Um, so, you know, I would say that if you're going to focus on a couple of things, focus on that value system and focus on confidence. All these other things, I mean, all of them are important in their own way, but I think you need to just be aware of them and understand how they work for you. Um, you may be a person for whom social support is extremely powerful. So utilize that, right? Do a little survey of your life on these five pillars and see where you can pull most um, to support you. And if it's confidence, great. If it's 
social support, great. Um, if it's um, urgency, that's fine too. But I think uh, going back to one of our previous comments, you don't want to just rely on one. Because if you just rely on a sense of urgency, when you feel that sense dissipate, because you can't hold that high level of urgency forever, then old behaviors will come back in, mm -hmm. right? And, and then there are little tricks that uh, personally that I do. Like when I'm struggling with the thought of, oh, I really need to exercise today, I start putting my exercise clothes on, which I don't wear all around the house or, you know, all around the town. I just wear when I exercise. So then I feel like a fool standing in my house in a complete <laughs> exercise outfit and not exercise. So I say, okay, I'm going to go walk the dog. I don't really feel like running today. I'll just go for a walk. And then I'm standing outside in my full exercise gear, and then I start running, right? So it's just not letting sort of things get in your way, finding the pattern that works for you, having those little tricks that move you just one inch further, and remembering that, you know, remembering those five pillars, but also remembering that you can't change everything at once. And, you, and there's nothing that is progressively steady in, in growth except for age, <laughs> you know? Right. So mm -hmm. someday, you know, you, it's like I run about three, four miles a day if I run. But you can't do it every day. You, you know, you can't, I mean, I guess you can, but like I can't do the same or more every day. I'm not going to get progressively better every day. Some days I'm going to run two and a half. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. You know, so it's just variability. The the example that I uh, like to use is um, my desire to increase my water intake. I was having difficulty drinking a lot of water, and I happen to like ice cold water, and I wanted to gauge the amount of water, so I bought this really cool thermos. Uh, it's orange, and it's 20 ounces, and it keeps my water super cold, and I just keep refilling it, and I was able to hit my goal, and, and that, that orange thermos is my reminder, and I, I take it with me, and I have it next to my desk, and, you know, so that that's a trick that I used to increase my water consumption, so I, I think you bring up a good point that there are things that we can do to kind of um, set ourselves up uh, to actually engage in the healthy behavior. Right, and my point around, you know, um, <clears throat> around self-compassion, I think I've not ter been terribly well at articulating it, but I think what I'm trying to get at with that self-compassion is that if you don't have self-compassion but you end up beating yourself up, you will give up. Mm -hmm. It feels mm -hmm. bad to feel bad. <laughs> um, yeah. But self-compassion can't lead you to just not doing things, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there is that fine line, and I struggle with it myself, you know, and there are many days, you know, that I don't exercise, and that's a choice I make, and I just say, it's fine. That was a fine choice I made. I made other choices today. To mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, can you give us an example? I know that you've done a lot of research, and um, you probably have numerous case studies, obviously without mentioning names, et cetera, but can you give us an example of of someone that you worked with that was successful in changing behavior by by focusing on you know a few of these things or all five pillars can you can you give us an example yeah in particular a lot of the research i've done is on uh adherence to treatment for sleep apnea which is a difficult um treatment it's for some people it's um 
it's continuous positive airway pressure, so it's a CPAP device, and it straps onto your face and it blows air into your upper respiratory tract, keeping your kind of your throat open during the night, which in sleep apnea has a tendency to close. And so this is a difficult treatment for some people, and, you know, one of the things that we do in our sort of therapy is we talk to the people about what their values are, and we ask them to tell us about a typical day, you know, and so this person tells us about how sometimes feeling too sleepy gets in the way. Um, I want to take a nap, or I have to have extra coffee to get through the day, I'm irritable, I'm not good with my kids. And, you know, that's something I'd like to change. And so that's where we start. And we talk, that's sort of part of the personalization. And we set reachable goals. We say, okay, so right now you're using a couple hours a night on average. Let's try to get two and a half, right? Let's just try to step it up a little bit. We also do some things understanding in terms of personalization. We show them a video of themselves having a sleep apnea episode. Um, that's not something you usually see. And so that becomes very personal. We've actually done a study where we show half of the people a video of themselves and the other half of the people see a video of someone else. And we find that just seeing a video of yourself dramatically changes how you behave. Right? We often, it's like when you hate hearing yourself on tape. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, when you see yourself sometimes in a in a, in a bad situation, you really have this motivation to change, this intrinsic motivation. So this person, having, you know, had, having us understand his value system, seeing himself um, in that situation, then we show him a video of himself with the, using a CPAP device and how calm and quiet that is. And then over a period of time, you know, give him feedback on how he's doing, and we shaped that behavior even past two and a half hours, and this person actually is using most all night, most nights now. Um, because, but it was a process. I don't want to make it sound simple. It's it's not simple. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I did when I was researching your work. Um, I actually saw uh, videos of that study, and some of the patients were interviewed and um, they were saying how it freaked them out so that would definitely be that urgency yeah. part when they when they saw that video of themselves struggling um, that is very uh, fearful and and um, you know definitely would cause you to to pause for sure um, yeah. in Interesting, interesting research, and I'm just wondering if you have any final advice for our listeners who may be having difficulty transforming uh, some unhealthy habits into healthy habits. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I think, my, I think my overall advice is um, understand yourself, right? Understand what motivates you. Take it easy on yourself, but don't give up. And, and persist and know that you can accomplish this. I mean, if most of us, when we look back in our lives, we have several stories of success, of things we've done that maybe we didn't think we could do when we started out to do them. Or when we look back, you know, things we're proud of. Remember that, because that's going to be fuel for your success more than focusing on your failure today. 
Yeah, that is that is great, great advice. Um, you can do it, definitely. So, um, Dr. Aloya, this has been a wonderful show. Thank you so much for giving us your uh, feedback and your strategies to help us uh, maintain these behaviors. And I would like to also let you know, listeners, that next week, uh, Lise is going to be back, and I have the night off. Lise is going to be hosting Deanna Minich, and their topic is emotional eating, which is is actually a really great topic that many of us uh, could use a little help with and a lot of people struggle with, emotional eating. So you are not going to want to miss that show. So um, great show again, Dr. Aloya. Thank you for joining Thank me. You. And, Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah. And um, so, everybody, uh, enjoy the rest of your evening, and may you experience joy, laughter, and love. It's time to thrive, everyone. Have a great night. <laughs>